With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Just like that, it's match day three of the new Premier League season and already we've got a massive game on the cards. I'm not on about Aston Villa against Brentford or Burnley against Leeds or even tabletopping West Ham against the struggling Crystal Palace. It's of course Liverpool versus Chelsea which will take top billing as two title contenders clash at Anfield. Can Lukaku do the business for the Blues or will Klopp come out on top? We'll discuss on today's show as well as looking at a case of student versus teacher when Arteta's struggling Arsenal face off against Guardiola's Manchester City who may have Cristiano Ronaldo on their books by this time next week. All 10 of the weekend's matches previewed here on Football Social Daily, the only seven-day-a-week Premier League podcast. I'm Niall McCorn, and alongside me to go through it all, a man whose face visibly dropped when I mentioned Ronaldo going to Manchester City. Jay Motti, how you doing, Jay? I'm all right. I'm in the, you know what's the stages of grief? I'm in the acceptance stage. (laughs) It certainly looks like it's pushing ever closer, and a man who's the total opposite of Jay Motti, has a big beaming smile on his face. Ant McGinley is here. How you doing, Ant? I've actually changed my name now to AM7, so you can refer to me as in future. <laughs> AM7, okay, that's the first and last time I'll ever be calling you that. So you had your one usage for the show and that's it. You're sticking, sticking as Emma Ginley. Um, let's start with Manchester City against Arsenal, 12.30pm kickoff on Saturday afternoon. Mikel Arteta, Jay, we've mentioned him a number of times on Football Social Daily since he took over at Arsenal, what, over 18 months ago now. And we've mentioned before that we've started to see some green shoots for Arsenal with young players like Smith-Rowe and Saka and Willock, who's now gone to Newcastle, starting to break through and and fire. But the project, it's not really taken off and Arsenal fans are starting to get disgruntled. How long do you think Arteta's got to let things catch fire? Because if he doesn't, he could be in some serious trouble and it doesn't get much tougher than a game against Manchester City this weekend. No, it doesn't. I just wonder whether sort of he might get away with this one. Because I think he's in, in in trouble. I do think there's pressure on him. There's always pressure on Arsenal managers anyway. Arsenal fan base is one of the most sort of reactionary on the planet. I think they still think it's 2004. But they, they don't give managers sort of much time in terms of the, the vitriol and the anger they show him. Um, I thought when, you know, when um, Arteta came in, it was a bit of an unknown quantity. A lot of people saying, oh, he's going to do great because he's been Pep's assistant. But as we've discussed on this podcast, just because you're someone's assistant, you have success there doesn't always translate to being a good manager. You know, you look at the Steve McLarens, the Brian Kidds, the Carlos Quiroses, just to name some from United who did really well under Fergie, but couldn't quite do it when they went on their own. So it was a bit unknown. Won on the FA Cup, bought him some time, but it hasn't been great. Um, and it just seems like a bit of a a bit of a shambles, to be honest with you. I think, like I said, the, the saving grace with this game is because it's against Man City, no one expects him to win. He might get a sort of a free pass on this one. They have had a big win, haven't they, in the, in the Cup, which might just alleviate a little bit of pressure and looking ahead of this game I think they've got they've got Norwich coming up Burnley okay they're not that easy but there's there's not that long to the North London derby so 
you know, he's probably looking at the North London derby and think, I think that could be his watershed moment. I think if things carry on, if he carries on struggling and gets the North London derby and loses it, that might be a, a breaking point. But if he can, I, I, like I said, I don't think you need to worry about the City game too much. I think if he can beat Norwich and Burnley um, and then go into that North London derby game and get a result, then I think he'll alleviate some pressure for now. But he just feels like he's constantly under it. And you look at the start of the season they've had. I mean, you mentioned some of the youngsters there. I mean, for me, Arsenal have decent youngsters. And I think the problem is they just, they overhype them a little bit. You know, you hear like players like Maitland-Niles is going to be the next big thing. This is going to be such an amazing player. And when they don't quite live up to that, then, you know, it's like you're setting yourself up to fail almost. You know, they're not bedded in slowly. Sometimes you throw them in, you expect the world, it doesn't quite happen. And I think just Arsenal fans in general just need to temper their expectations a little bit. I know they've spent a lot of money this summer. They've spent is it more money than anyone else, I think, at the time of recording in, this. In Europe, yeah. In Europe. So mm. that brings with its own pressure. But look at the starting point they're at. They need like, you know, they still need a lot of players <laughs> despite spending mm. 150 million quid. So yeah, he is under pressure. But like I said, I think the City game, if he can get anything out of it, it's a bonus. I don't think he will. But as long as he don't get a ridiculous scoreline, like a proper hiding, I think he'll be all right for the, for the time being. I'm glad you mentioned the FA Cup as well that he won because even though you should never kind of uh, underestimate how valuable a trophy is to a manager and their football in CV and just the feel-good factor it brings. It's almost done more harm than good for Mikel Arteta, the fact that they won the FA Cup, because it's made that expectation for Arsenal, particularly going into last season, higher than probably what it should have been, Ant. And actually, in the end, they finished outside of the European places for the first time in a quarter of a century. So, you know, Arteta, in terms of the statistics, they certainly aren't in his favour. Yeah, I think it was within his first 20 games as manager, and that was not just manager of Arsenal, but as a manager, he'd won the FA Cup, which is, uh, you know, a, a ridiculous... Uh, state to be in and I think you're exactly right it was the the wrong thing I think had he had he maybe got them to the final and and lost it there it still would have been taken as a positive sign but then there was expectations of almost like oh it's fixed now and I don't think it's as easy a fix as just a new manager or just the right manager or just the right signing I think there's a whole combination that you need and I, I couldn't agree more with everything that Jay said I mean can you imagine what it must be like to find yourself supporting a club that doesn't give their new managers time or respect, who have unrealistic expectations and who spent loads and loads of money and just still live in the glory of the past? I, I don't know what that must be like, Jay. Uh, well, I, I understand you don't because you haven't got any glory in the past, really. So <laughs> I, I can completely understand that sentiment. But I think, you know, there's been similarities. I know you're having a laugh, but there's been similarities sort of levelled at Oli and, and Arteta. There was at, at Lampard. And I think some people almost use that as a stick to beat, Ollie, with the fact that Tommy Tuchel came into Chelsea and won the Champions League straight away. Um, but I think if you look at the results between Oli and Arteta, yeah, Arteta's got the FA Cup, but the results are not even comparable. Other than the, the results, ironically, between the two teams, which isn't great record, Oli's probably got his worst record against anyone against Arteta. But in terms of like league positions and the games and stuff like that, you know, you've had a third and a second place finish last two seasons from Oli. What have you had from Arteta? Two back-to-back eighth finishes. I mean, are Arsenal fans going to stomach that again if, if that's what, what they're going to get? Because I know we're only two games in, but even already it looks like they're going to struggle to get in the Europa. I'm actually trying to think now, because obviously, you know, he really came to prominence as Pep's number two. But really, can you think of, of somebody in recent times that's gone from being a good number two to being a, a good manager, make that step up straight away? It's taken pe- people a while. I mean, obviously... You know, you, you would look at, you know, Brendan Rodgers now, uh, but that's taken a long time for him to get to where he was. Um, I mean, and the, it, the, the it other end of the Brendan Rodgers and Steve Clark are the only two I can yeah. think of. I thank God you didn't say Steve McLaren. <laughs> well, do you know what? It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's almost a similarity because McLaren had some initial success. He had a little bit of success. I think at Middlesbrough, he won like a trophy. I think didn't win the League Cup and then get him to the Europa mm. League final or whatever. I think he more or less got the England job off the back of it. So sometimes an assistant can have a little bit of success, which is what Arteta's done. But then when it comes down to, you know, the long haul or the nitty gritty or rebuilding a team or building a team properly, that's when they fall short because they haven't got that experience or they haven't got the, for want of a better expression, the brains of the operation. So I never quite understood the sort of, the the the, the argument that, that Arteta was going to succeed because he was Pep's number two or that he'd been like the, 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 the biggest influence in the dressing room because I thought, where's that coming from? And I think a lot of people got carried away with that FA Cup win because you beat um, City, didn't you, on the way to it? 
And then that was like, people thought, well, look, this is proof. This is proof that he's <laughs> that he's 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 the the one that sort sort of Pep's right man, and I thought, well, he's not really, is he? Because we know what Pep did at, at Barcelona; he didn't even have Arteta there. So, yeah, I just think that it's it's still unknown, and you know, it's beginning to look like it isn't going to work out. But I still feel there's just about enough time for him to turn it around. But it needs to be sooner rather than later. For me, it's erratic. It, it's scattergun with Arsenal in everything. That's not just results, but also transfers. Like the first game of the season, you'd expect Arsenal to beat Brentford. They lose 2-0, but you're not really surprised. But then again, you wouldn't have been surprised if Arsenal had beaten them. And I think that's the huge issue that Arsenal have got. It's a problem, though, that Manchester City don't have. And you talk about Arteta learning off Guardiola and Guardiola's tactics and all of the rest of it. That has been one of the key factors in this conversation and about Cristiano Ronaldo possibly ending up at the Etihad Stadium. Does he fit into Pep Guardiola's tactics? Of course, they've taken a pass on Harry Kane, who'll be staying at Tottenham Hotspur. But this is huge, huge news. If Cristiano Ronaldo does end up at the Etihad Stadium, I mean, that could be massive, not just commercially, but in terms of a statement from Manchester City. Yeah, and it's something we've seen work very well for for other clubs. Uh, it's particularly I'm thinking uh, Ibrahimovic coming to United that that first season that he had as well. You know, g- getting one good season out of him as well could be good. And to a different extent, we're seeing it. I know he's slightly younger, but Cavani uh, uh, is doing the job at United as well. And one of the things you know we were struggling with was somebody who could play that position. And obviously, he's not. He's not the, the the speed that he was when he was at United um, all those years ago, but in terms of sheer force of will and the desire to win and the the proven track record of winning, uh, what a player to have! I I find it really interesting to see how um, Guardiola would manage him, particularly when uh, the, there's always been this in the background this this competition between Messi and Ronaldo. And Guardiola has always singled out Messi as being the number one player in the world. And whether that plays into things, uh, and that's what's bringing Ronaldo here to almost prove it, I don't know. I don't think he's got anything left to prove, but uh, he he wants to win things, obviously, still. Um, He had an incredible Euros, you know, so I think any other player of that age, you might be saying... That's that's a a bit much, he's a bit over the hill. But it's I, I find it really interesting, actually, and I'd be really keen to find out how Jay feels about this because there's been such um, hoo-ha about the, the traitors, traitors, but the thing is if, if you keep saying things like that you, you're going to have a huge bunch of traitors I mean just in the Premier League alone you've had you've had Peter Schmeichel Owen Hargreaves, Carlos Tevez Andy Cole, you had Cristiano to that as well um, I don't know if we're going to bring in uh, Cantona to replace Pep after he goes <laughs> but <laughs> that, that would be the, that would be the, the breaking the break. but it's funny because of all the ones you've mentioned there there's only sort of Tevez who left when we probably needed it you know if you're going to go back far you may as well go Peter Barnes or Dennis Law or whatever I mean it's not it's not um, like with Peter Schmeichel I think you know he'd, he'd long gone with, with Andy Cole long gone it doesn't feel like I never felt like any anger towards Andy Cole Peter Michael's actions when he was at City is what sort of upset a lot of United fans with a cartwheel and all that nonsense Tevez was the first one where you thought okay this is a player we could probably use but again we sort of made made a rod for our own back I don't think Fergie was sort of I think Fergie underestimated how influential he was going to be and how he was going to kick on um, Ronaldo though he's, he's meaning, he left in what was it 2009 I mean <laughs> Yeah, it hurts because he won a lot of trophies for us and he is an iconic player who, you know, was, was more that number seven shirt and was probably, you know, one of the last great number sevens we've had. But this whole thing of, like, being shocked that 12 years later he's gone somewhere we don't like, I'm just not that surprised by it. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's going to be sickening when I see him in a city shirt. I'm not going to pretend it isn't. But I'm not like, I'm not like oh, I can't believe this is happening. Because I think that if you sell a player for 80 million quid as well, then you can't say, well... Can't expect him, especially a player who led us a merry dance in that last season, called himself a slave, fell out with everyone, was making all these silly statements. Fergie more or less had to just say to him, give me one more year and then you can have your move to Madrid, which to be fair to him, he did. But there's never been this sort of thing where I think, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo is a Mad United fan who's never going to sort of, you know, upset us or do anything to, to sort of you know, be a bit of a slap in the face. So it's disappointing, but it's not that surprising, to be honest with you. I think the the one sort of sad thing for me about this is, whilst Ronaldo is past his best and, and 
you know, he's, he's not the player that he was at Old Trafford. He's still a very good player. And he's ironically a player that we could probably do with at United. We could, we could do with a Cristiano Ronaldo because you mentioned Cavani. He's going to miss about 55 games this season because the Uruguay Internationals is just ridiculous. We've got Mason Greenwood, who I love, but he's 19. You know, I think he turns 20 soon or whatever. He's, he's very young. There's question marks around Andy Martial, whether he's ever going to get to the form he had two seasons ago. Marcus Rashford plays out wide. He's got an injury at the minute. He's just had an operation. So we could do with someone with that experience who's still got a lot to offer coming in. But, you know, it's just not going to happen, especially not with our owners. We think, you know, we've done a couple of signings this summer and that's it for now. And you can imagine, you saw the reaction that um, you got at Old Trafford in that first home game, bringing on Varane just before the start of the game. The, the boost that, that that gave the side seemingly as well. I think, you know, whatever anybody thinks about Oli or what you've said about the owners, I think you've got a, a really good squad this season. I think you're you're really, and, and that was proven on that, that opening day, how, how frightening that you can be. And I know there's been rumours for a while now about conversations between Ronaldo and United. I mean, that would be that the whole homecoming, the narrative rights itself, everything there, and it would be, and also the fact is, you know, on. Ollie's looking for his first win, and Cristiano is somebody that would you almost expect to bring you that. I just don't think it fits in with the way things are going at Manchester United at the moment in terms of how things are done above board. And I think probably similarly with Manchester City, which is why it surprises me more, is what Pep Guardiola looks for in a player in terms of signings he makes and the ages of the players the wages that Ronaldo's on he's on half a million a week after tax and these are all things that just don't add up to me in terms of a move to Manchester City but then again football's a funny old game and football's a petty game as well and it wouldn't surprise me if City do just sign Ronaldo despite Manchester United because you know there's all this talk about legacies and who's the top dog in Manchester and everything else um, I, I do think that this is, is almost a cultural signing if it takes place than anything else um, but Manchester City face off against R Arsenal at the Etihad, 12.30pm kickoff on Saturday. We'll come on to Manchester United, who travel to Wolves on Sunday a little bit later on in the podcast. But for now, let's look at another title contender in Liverpool and another in Chelsea, because those two do battle Saturday, 530 This is the first clash of two perceived title contenders this season. We think there are four, both Manchester clubs, Liverpool and Chelsea. So there's going to be a few real big battles this season between those teams. In terms of the capabilities to win the league and... We know that Liverpool can do it because they've done it before in recent seasons. As for Chelsea, it's been a while since they last won the Premier League title. You have to go back to when they did it under Antonio Conte and they've been off the pace for the last few seasons. But now they've got a chance, certainly with the squad they've got. Do you think this game against Liverpool will tell us more about Chelsea than it will do about Jurgen Klopp's side? I think it's a really interesting game to set the season up and and I think my money would be on Chelsea edging it because... Although I, I'm not really a fan of those calendar year statistics that you get, you know, in recent seasons, you've really got to, you can't ignore um, the, the run of form that people have at the end of one season and carry it on. And the way Chelsea transformed from Tuchel coming in, especially defensively, and the problems that Liverpool had, obviously missing so many injuries and influential players at the back, uh, but noticeably the way that Liverpool fell away. Um, I mean, it was it was it was an incredible performance at the, the way they came back uh, to to get that third position last season. So they they both had a strong end to the season uh, right at the very end, but consistently you would have to look at, at Chelsea as being the strongest. And I think it's 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 not an easy game, but I I can see Chelsea edging this, and I think possibly um, Tuchel being the the more the tactician than than Klopp, I think Klopp's uh, very passionate and gets a lot out of the players and has driven them and, and carried them again, almost like Ronaldo through sheer force of will sometimes. But I I think that Tuchel and Chelsea will have the edge on this one. I like that comparison because I think you're right, and I probably agree with you that Jurgen Klopp feels more like someone who'll focus on mentality and why you're doing what you're doing, whereas Thomas Tuchel is probably more about the tactics and how to win a game. Um, We'll wait and see, obviously, what happens come Saturday at half five. But I wanted to ask you, Jay, about Lukaku, who's a player you've seen um, up close and personal because he was at Old Trafford, of course, a few seasons ago. And he's been criticised in the past by my United fans, particularly when he was at Old Trafford, for not having an impact in big games. Now, 
it feels like it's, it's a different Lukaku, which has landed back in the Premier League for ninety-seven and a half million pounds. Do you think he'll be keen to disprove that theory that some have of him that he just doesn't turn up in those big matches? I mean, yeah, definitely. I think that that theory or that accusation at, at United was fair. I think if you look at his record, I mean, you know, Ant will probably tell you he, he loves Lukaku because he set up two goals for City in the derby. That was a sort of, you know, that was probably his biggest impact in a, in a big game. <laughs> and I'm not trying to disparage Romelu Lukaku because I genuinely don't have an issue with him. But he, did, he didn't, you know, he, he, he sort of, he came in, he scored nine goals, I think, in his first 11 games. And then scored, I think it was like one in his next 12 and didn't score any against the big six. And that was the problem with Romelu Lukaku, you know, against the Cities, the Liverpools, the Chelsea's, the, 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 even the Arsenal's and the Spurs. He didn't always turn up, turn up. His record wasn't great. I think it was something like, you know, two goals or two assists in like, you know, 12 games or whatever it was against all those sides I've mentioned. Which, when you're trying, as we were with Lukaku leading our attack, trying to fight for a league title, that's not going to win you it. And also, with Lukaku, what happened? He bulked up. He put on a lot of weight after the World Cup, whether that was intentional, accidental, or he was trying to become a target man under Jose. I don't know, but he did. And he was one of those players that when he was not at the races, when he wasn't feeling confident, his touch let him down and he became almost like a meme. It was painful at times to watch him, you know, falling over the ball, just losing it. It wasn't great. And I felt that I always knew, if this makes any sense, that he would go on and score goals when he left us. But I still felt it was right for him to go. Some players, it just wasn't happening for him at United. And he had... You know, you could argue that maybe Oli didn't trust him enough. He had, he's played him in fits and starts when he came in and sometimes he was shifted out wide. But I just felt like it was right for him to go. So, I don't know with Lukaku. He's, he probably feels like he's already proved a point. He went to Inter, won the Serie A. He's broken all sorts of records and he's, you know, since he's gone, he's just carried on scoring. Even now, you know, he scored on his debut. So, I don't know whether he will have this, this, this point to prove. He might do. But I think Romelu Lukaku, I think everyone knows what he's about. And the fact that Chelsea paid so much money for him and no one was really shocked at that transfer fee. I think it was like, you know what, that's probably about right. Shows that Lukaku, despite his, his struggles at United, I think his, um, his, his, his reputation is pretty much intact. Yeah, like you say, he, he guarantees you goals. I mean, his United Premier League goal record is still really, really good, but it is in those big games that the problems came. And I wonder whether he'll fire against Liverpool this weekend. We'll wait and see. The game at Anfield against Chelsea starts at Saturday uh, at half past five. We're going to talk about the uh, Premier League leaders now. West Ham United, after a 4-1 win on Monday night over Leicester City, uh, Zoom to the summit of the Premier League. They take on a Crystal Palace side who have played three games and no wins in all competitions and also no goals. Patrick Vieira at the helm, of course. How long do you think, Ant, before patience runs out at Selhurst Park? Obviously, he needs a chance to prove that he's capable. But Frank de Boer, when Crystal Palace brought him in, had a similarly fallow start down in South London. And uh, Jose Mourinho has the famous soundbite about Frank de Boer about, you know, however many games, zero goals. And unfortunately for Patrick Vieira, he started off in a similar vein. Yeah, uh, and it it doesn't look good. I mean, the thing is, you've got to, you've got to sort of take a step back and look at everything that's gone on. The amount of turnover they've had of playing staff there, uh, plus, plus the change in a manager that's kept that club stable. Like, what, whatever you think of, of, of Roy Hodgson for all he's done throughout his career... I, I think you know he he turned Crystal Palace into a club danger, losing their status to a steady mid-table Premier League club, and um, you know he, he, even towards the end of it, he got um, Benteke scoring again. So you know th- there's there's something gone on really well. However, uh, as we know, Premier League owners and the Premier League itself is not very forgiving. So if we find ourselves in a situation where you're looking at four games in five games and they, they still haven't got a win, still haven't got a goal. I think that's when things start to look. But the problem is 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 where where do where do they go then? I mean is 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 that just taking them back again? They they've spent a lot of money, they've given a lot of investment to uh Vieira to go out and bring players in. How much of that is his decision? How much of that is the way the club's set? I don't have access to that. I, c- I couldn't tell you. But you would think that part of it is down to to Vieira, and so if he was to go, what does that mean? Uh, yes, he had a, he had a great time and, and 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 pretty good success, and and had a really good reputation uh, when he was at City with the elite development squad, and then he moved out to New York. But then 
his last club and his time in France was not he, he wasn't tearing up trees however uh, I don't know I mean the, the thing is he's, he's a Premier League legend but as we know that does not that only carries you so far and I think perhaps by the time we get to if we find ourselves in a similar situation by the end of September you might find like an emergency Harry Redknapp <laughs> a care package in Ooh. the form of Harry Redknapp um, to be fair I think in terms of Palace's start to lose 3-0 on the opening day to Chelsea I don't think there's any shame in that because Chelsea will go a long way this season to be in title contenders drawing 0-0 with Brentford may have concerned a few but I think Brentford obviously have got that confidence and, and gusto from beating Arsenal on their opening fixture and and also I think coming up against West Ham this weekend a side who are in supremely confident form being top of the table so I don't think that it's been as easy a start for Patrick Vieira as some people are suggesting let's talk about West Ham though Jay because as I say they are at the summit and there's a feel-good factor around the London Stadium I think maybe a couple of years ago looking at this fixture West Ham versus Crystal Palace you could have just sat there and said oh this one could go either way not really sure who's going to win this but now we expect West Ham to to beat Crystal Palace do you think that speaks volumes of the progression that the club's made in the last season or so and the job that David Moyes has done yeah I mean you've got to give him credit you know, they had a, a good season last season. A lot of people thought they were going to struggle against relegation all last season. Um, and they didn't at one point look like they were going to gate crash the Champions League party, which was just phenomenal, really. Um, and this season, obviously, you know, it's very early days, but they've started off very well. There seems to be, which you don't often associate with David Moyes and his teams, but a real sort of happy factor at, at the club. They just seem like the players are loving the football, they're enjoying themselves. They, they had it last season, obviously from a United point of view, Jesse Lingard went there and just was as, as you know as prolific as he's ever been. I think he ended up with like nine goals and five assists in 16 games or something. Uh, almost, very almost got himself back into England's squad. It looked, it looked impossible when he went there. So you've got to give Moyes credit. You know, you, you give any manager criticism when they deserve it, credit when they deserve it. And for a team like West Ham with the real resources they've got, because... Yes, they've got some good players and they've got, you know, a little bit of money, but they're not sort of one of the big boys in terms of spending and, and the squad and whatnot. Then, then, yeah, he's doing a very, very good job. And, and I think, you know, you sort of spoke about the contrasting fortunes. And I actually think that I was mentioning Roy Hodgson. I think Roy Hodgson was very underrated. I think it's easy to criticise Roy Hodgson and just not maybe as much criticising, but him to be like this figure of fun that people go, you know, look at his time at England, it was a disaster, or, you know, look at his time at Liverpool and, and all stuff. But he's a, such a seasoned manager who, you know, works works at Crystal Palace with such limited resources and kept them comfortable, which is, is you know, that's such an underrated thing to do. Take a club that's got no resources, not got a big squad, not got any money to spend and keep them pretty much out of the relegation trouble. I think he deserves a little bit more credit, Roy Hodgson. I think that's why Patrick Vieira as well might be struggling because I think people would have dismissed Roy Hodgson and just how effective he was. And then you expect Vieira to come in and just pick up that mantle and it's not that easy. I, I, I would put that achievement, like I said, and I, I rate him very highly. I'd put that on a par with uh, Jose getting United second. How did I know that was... You know what? As soon as you said I would put that achievement, I knew what was coming. <laughs> I, I knew it. <laughs> Uh, right, well, we, we've uh, just lost uh, our, our Nile for a moment, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us into the break, because I've done this before, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Norwich, Leicester, uh, Wolves, Man United, Tottenham and Watford, and, with a 100% record so far this season, Brighton against Everton. That's all next. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Looking ahead to Premier League fixtures this weekend. Ten games. We've got three down. Uh, let's look at the next up. Uh, it's not been a great start again, but then I suppose, uh, you know, kind of used to it after the last trip to the Premier League. Norwich at home to Leicester. It's been a brutal start for Norwich, uh, but uh, a little bit of joy for them. 6-0 in the Carabao Cup, um, but it's been eight goals conceded in two games. Now, that has been against Man City and Liverpool. Jay, can you see any way that they can get something out of Leicester? It's going to be on it, because Leicester obviously had a disappointing result against West Ham, was it? Um, so, you know, they'll probably have a little bit of a point to prove. Obviously, Leicester are a very good team, 
been there thereabouts near the, the top end of the Premier League over the last few years and won the, the FA Cup of course so it is, I don't I don't envy Norwich they've had such a awful sort of start to the season in terms of fixtures as, as well um, so I think it's going to be very difficult for them I mean there's a lot to like about Norwich you know if you watch them they, they, they play some good football and I thought that they, they had a plan didn't they when they got sort of promoted like they sort of got they had like a five year plan or whatever it was and they sort of got promoted a bit earlier than expected and didn't panic if that's the right term they didn't spend big in the in the Premier League they said well we're going to stick to our long-term plan which isn't to go mad and spend money we haven't got got relegated and then bounce back so you think okay that's fair enough they've obviously got a, a, a strategy and a plan and it's kind of working um but I always feel like a team like Norwich you you, you feel sorry for him and you admire him because you take points off him <laughs> more often than not they're one of those teams you go oh, they play nice football they've got you know some good players but we can we can usually beat them I just wonder how much they've learned from that last trip to the Premier League how much that plays a part how much that can sort of that little bit of experience can just count in certain games um, but they need to start picking up some points because you get into that thing don't you where you know you're just losing game after game after game at the beginning of the Premier League before you know it you're just sort of looking at um um, a relegation battle that's it you know what I mean and it's like not even a relegation battle you're beginning to sort of look at it uh, you know can we even get off the bottom are we going to be bottom of the table so I do feel for them but I think they've got a good sort of hierarchy in place a, a bit of a plan there I just don't see them getting anything out of this game because I think Leicester are a good team we've had a bad result and we'll want to bounce back but one of the things that I, I, I'm curious about is to I mean obviously they've come up against two two teams like especially with City bouncing back as well and, and Liverpool who are on form um, they, they don't seem to sort of have have the ability to shut up shop and uh, just keep it down to one or two goals and especially when you look at how they uh, you know I think it was a minus 49 goal difference they went down with last time they were there yet the way they play they tore up the championship last season uh, now let's let's look at Leicester I mean Jay's, you know, put all the eggs in the Leicester basket for this game, but Leicester have not had a great start. Went down to ten men and had a heavy defeat against West Ham. Can you see them bouncing back? Is this all set up for that to happen? Yeah, I thought it was really uncharacteristic of Leicester to lose in the way they did. Obviously, against West Ham, they had I would say Perez sent off, and uh, I think the game was a bit closer when that happened. And you can always look at that and pinpoint it as a reason as to why a team loses handsomely is is through a sending off. But to be fair, I thought they were completely outplayed and outclassed by West Ham. I thought that the players were making mistakes. I thought it was very unusual for a Brendan Rodgers side to play in that sort of way. Um, it felt like they weren't switched on. And that would be concerning, really, to be honest, for Brendan Rodgers. And uh, I'm sure he'll be, he'll be sort of encouraging his players to bounce back. And actually, in terms of a game that you would hand-select... I think Jay's just kind of touched upon it there. If you were to pick one Premier League side that you would want to face off against... If you're looking to get back into winning ways after a after a defeat, then you'd probably be picking Norwich. And that's no disrespect to them. It's just because, you know, the two Premier League games they've had, they've shipped eight goals. I know they played Manchester City and Liverpool. But in terms of facing a side who you think you'd be able to get back to winning ways against, you'd probably be picking the Canaries, to be fair. So even though Norwich won midweek quite handsomely against Bournemouth, I think they beat them 6-0. I still don't think that changes anything in terms of the dynamic or the perception when it comes to Premier League fixtures. So actually, I think that we will see a Leicester reaction. I do think we'll see Brendan Rodgers let his players know that that wasn't acceptable. And it is always about how a team bounces back from defeat. And you don't want to get beaten by Norwich because I think that will then start to cause a little bit of disgruntlement and a bit of confusion amongst uh, some in the ranks at Leicester. And that's not what you want to see, really. That game kicks off at 3 o'clock on Saturday. Looking ahead to Sunday at half four at Molyneux. Wolves in entertain Manchester United. And uh, are we going to see full debuts for the big signings uh, from this summer? What do you reckon, Jay? We want to. Tanya. Yeah. Um, I think we can all agree. Well, you might not all agree, but I certainly believe that uh, it backfired against Southampton. Not starting Sancho. Varane, I sort of understood. Even though I didn't agree with it personally, I'd have thrown him in. But, um, you know, by the time um, Sancho came on, I mean, we still had half an hour of game left or whatever it was, but he just wasn't as effective as we needed him to be. Um, that's not criticism of him. The whole team wasn't. So, yeah, in answer to your question, I think, oh, he's got to go for it. You know, I've got to go for it. And, 
you know, you want if we get three points against the um, Wolves, and that's a decent start to the season, seven from your first three. If you lose or you draw, and it's, it's it's already like it's a bit deflating. It's already it's not a great start to only win one of your first three games, especially against teams that you should be beating. Wolves are in a little bit of a decline, aren't they, from a couple of years ago in terms of the 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 investment and the way they've gone about things. And, you know, there was a time when they first came in the Premier League that there was this real buzz about them. They were bringing in these players that, that no one ever expected Wolves to be able to get. I know they've got they had a, they've got a rich owner and obviously tries to, um, is it Jorge Mendes? So they're able to bring in sort of players that perhaps you wouldn't have expected to see at Molyneux. But it just feels like it's not quite where it was this season compared to last season or the last couple of seasons. So with all that being said, and the players we've got, then yeah, United should be starting a strong team, and we should be we should be winning this one. I don't even want to hear any excuses. This is a, this is a game we should be going into and taking all three points from. Uh, with with that said, uh, Wolves must be feeling confident given the, I mean, I think it's fair to say sloppy performance that United put in a, a, against Southampton. Um, what is the what is the avenue that you see? Wolves possibly being able to get a result from this one now, if there is one. Well, I think if you take last game, last week's game that United had against Southampton as a blueprint for how to get a result against them, you have to target the two defensive midfield players, of which were Fred and Nemanja Matic. And, you know, Nemanja Matic actually in pre season looked like one of the better Manchester United players. And a few fans were thinking, right, okay, you might have turned a corner, might be an opportunity for him to really show. Uh, what he can do in United colours again. And there are a few hints at a 4-3-3 formation of which, you know, Matic would be quite useful at in terms of the central midfielder in a 4-3-3. But Solskjaer stuck with 4-2-3-1. And obviously Scott McTominay's had groin surgery this week. So he's not going to be involved for a for a number of weeks. Van der Beek, there's been question marks over him, whether he can play in that defensive midfield role. He's kind of been in the gym, put on a bit of muscle and uh, I think maybe is um, is kind of eyeing up one of those uh, defensive midfield spots because as good as Van der Beek is in a more advanced position, is he really going to get in ahead of the likes of Sancho and Greenwood and Bruno Fernandes has got that 10 spot locked down, hasn't he? So actually, um, is it time for Van der Beek to come in there and make a bit of an impact or at least try to? So from a Wolves perspective, if you're going to try and combat Manchester United and get a result against them, the thing Southampton do, and they always have done under Hazen Hurtle, is just press you as, as tight as they can. They'll press you to the edge of your 18-yard box. I don't think we'll see too much of that from Wolves, but if they can get on top of Fred and get on top of Matic or whoever those two midfield players are and just try and isolate and suffocate those passes to the forward players, I mean, that's where United are most dangerous, aren't they? They've got excellent central defenders now, Maguire and Varane, and if they start, okay, that's that's what you'd expect and at the top end of the pitch so much potential and quality amongst all of the players I mean I won't list them all because everyone knows how good their attacking options are but I think if you are kind of highlighting an area of the pitch United need improvement it's probably the middle of the park and you know Fred I don't think is a bad player but he was quite loose and sloppy with his passing at St Mary's last week gave a few balls away he was passing the ball out of play for throw-ins um, you know he was the one that unfortunately had the deflection for the own goal for, for, for Southampton's goal and I just think actually if there's one person you want to target or one position if you're Wolves it'll probably be in that midfield area so if Wolves can win get in there and win that battle they will have a better chance uh, of winning the game I think Wolves won a five sides without any points so far this season uh, that game uh, two o'clock sorry 4.30 on Sunday uh, let's look at a team now that have got maximum points from the two games uh, despite only brief appearances uh, from their talisman Tottenham at home to Watford and another derby uh, on Sunday at two o'clock uh, Harry Kane as this week said he's going to stay for now <laughs> or for the summer I think was his exact words uh, I was surprised he didn't even say for this game I'm going to be here <laughs> for the next 20 minutes um, he's scored twice in the Europa Conference League uh, do you do you think he's going to get a warm reception from the fans or do you think he needs to go out there and get a couple of goals just to cement that for them Jay I think he'll get a decent reception I think the fans it depends on how you look at it. I mean, you could just look at that, you know, obviously City weren't willing to pay whatever Levy wanted and that's the only reason Harry Kane has, has, has stayed. Or you can look at it and go, OK, you know, let's just get behind him. He's a player that's here. He's, you know, he's a goal scorer. We need him to score goals for us. So let's give him, a, you know, 
the sort of reception that someone who's scored so many goals for this club probably deserves. So I think he'll get a decent reception, though. But I don't think it's, you know, like you were saying, that statement was almost very nearly meaningless, wasn't it? It was just about on the, the side of having something to say with I'll be here for the summer. All right, or you know whatever it was, like you're saying. So it wasn't like you know it wasn't, and you know I've had, I've seen the support that I've had, and it was almost like if you actually look at it, it didn't say a lot. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like a sort of I love this club and I want to stay and fight and all this stuff. It was more or less I'm you know I'm just I'm just sort of staying here for a bit. So I think he'll get a decent reception. I think Spurs fans you know know they need him, and I think if you've got any chance of success, it's it's going to come from Harry Kane. You know I know that he obviously. He won the first game against Man City without him, but that you know I don't see that happening very often. I think if Spurs are gonna have any sort of say in getting into the top four, which I, I imagine is the ultimate goal, then they need Harry Kane sort of banging in the goals and the fact that he's you know he's back and he's in the goals already in Europa. There's, that's a, a positive for them because on his day, Harry Kane is probably the best striker in the world. So the England captain staying at Tottenham. Um, can we see? based on what we've seen of them so far, Watford staying in the Premier League this season? Because um, I, I had quite a few pundits and commentators say at the start of the season they could see all three promoted clubs uh, going down. H- how would you assess Watford's start to the season, Niall? I think they'll be happy. One win, one loss. Uh, and that win was a good one against Aston Villa where they were three goals up and they did let a couple in towards the end. I think it finished 3-2. But Ismail Assar looked really lively. Emmanuel Dennis is, an, is a sign and I'm excited about. He's coming from Club Bruges. I think he's got loads of potential. But I wouldn't disagree with that statement that you made that possibly all three of the promoted teams could go back down again. I actually think Brentford uh, are my pick to stay up. If they're you know, out of the three, I fancy Brentford to do the best out of all of them. Um, but they can't be dispirited with their start. Obviously, a, a much better performance against Villa than the one that saw them beaten by Brighton last week. But still, you can't you can't turn your nose up at having three points on the board already in two games. Um, the Tottenham game will be a difficult one, but I don't think that Watford can go into this game feeling like, OK, it's a free hit. Because when you go into games against the top four or the title challenging sides, you often hear people say, oh, these games are a free hit. Just go and give it a go. I don't think Tottenham fall into that category or that bracket. And I think Watford actually should be, you know, treating themselves with a bit more respect when they go and face Tottenham because they're certainly good enough to to cause them some damage like we saw them cause Aston Villa damage they scored three goals on that opening day so yeah I think they can feel reasonably happy with their start but it's just about continuing it and um, we'll see by Christmas really where they're at and I think that's always a good barometer isn't it it's a cliche but it's true um, at Christmas we'll see where they are and uh, if they're down and amongst it then um, you probably fancy them to sticking around there but if they're not then uh, then who knows but yeah certainly a decent-ish start and they'll, ha- they'll look to continue that against Spurs Well the last time these two sides met in the Premier League it was a thrilling Nil-nil draw, Troy Deeney missing a penalty. Uh, We'll find out Sunday 2 o'clock how that goes. And now let's look at one team that nobody's really talked about, despite the fact they are in the Champions League places. Uh, All right, it's only two games in, but Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, two wins, two games, and they play host to Everton at 3 o'clock on Saturday. Now, we we, we heard a lot um, from fans last year, Jay, about how... Well, they play nice football, but we just want to dig out some results and get some goals. Is it kind of all coming together now? Is this what's happening? Is it, or, or, or I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I, I think all, all Brighton fans are going to be very happy to see them there. But um, is this something that they can maintain moving forward? Um, I'm not so sure. Like you said, it was goals when it which was the issue. Um, as you as you both know, I'm a massive fan of uh, all the uh, XG. I love all the XG, me. <laughs> Um, it's it's meant, um, but I know that from from socials and from people I chat to that Brighton were like well up high in the the XG tables. If anyone actually cares about that sort of thing, they created a lot of chances. Is what sort of someone explained it to me in a layman's terms, which I needed explaining to me like that. Um, but they didn't score a lot of goals. They didn't. They had a lot of sort of you know strikers who just struggled. I don't want to keep making it about United, but it's my best reference is when we played and when we sort of you know it ended as a draw and then we got that penalty. After the yeah. final whistle, whichever and they hit the bar like a million they times, they hit the yeah. woodwork five <laughs> times. I think it was a record for the most times. Like they should have beaten us comfortably, and they ended up losing. It wasn't, you know, and that was because of their sort of wastefulness in front of goal. 
So the fact they've got four goals in two games is a, is a solid start. The fact that they've got a pretty good, solid team. I think you look at there's, there's one or two players. Basuma's the one that stands out. Everyone was raving about after the um, was it the Watford game, I think, last time we played. And rightly so, he's a player I'd love to see at Old Trafford. Um, but it's whether, like you say, whether likes of is it Mupai or can, and, and some of the others can, can contribute and can keep that goal scoring going. If, if they don't, then that's going to be Brighton's problem. But it's been a good start. There's a, you know, a lot of... Um, Sort of respect and admiration for for Graham Potter, isn't there, in the footballing world? He does. He's one of those managers where everyone seems to like him. Everyone seems to respect what he does. Other managers all speak highly of him. I think a lot of neutral fans look at him and go, "Yeah, okay, I see what he's doing." Because when they got rid of Chris Hewitt, a lot of people were surprised. They think actually he's keeping you safe. What are your ambitions? Are you sort of maybe getting ideas above your station? Wasn't you know all playing sailing? It looked like at one point they could be in relegation trouble last season, but it seems to be working out for him. So. You know, fair play to Graham Potter. He's playing football the right way and getting some results with it this season, especially. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, apart from the fact that this new look he's got for this season, I'm not too sure about the beard. <laughs> Paul Weller, Mark it's, II. Yeah, it's, it just, it, I was like, who, who is that? Who is that guy there? Clint it's Doom. almost freak, yeah, freaked me out as much as when I saw Jurgen Klopp without his glasses. Yeah, it's um, right. uh, they're, they're playing host to Everton. And we've we've heard quite a lot, particularly uh, with Steve Bruce at Newcastle. There's been a lot of comparison to like as much as people have berated Steve Bruce, his record has matched and pretty much edged um, how things were under Rafa. But since he's come into Everton, there does seem to be a little something different going on there. Um, can, can you see anywhere that uh, fans could be worried at Everton, or should they start to relax now and think good times are here? Niall? Um, I, I wouldn't go that far. Good times are here. I think it's a combustible situation. And, you know, you talk about managers and what they've had to go through. Steve Bruce uh, at Newcastle has sat there a number of times in press conferences and said, oh, I don't think it's fair the way the fans have treated me. I don't think it's fair some of the flack I've taken, which I understand his point of view. But if you're talking about managers with a thick skin, Rafa Benitez has a thick hide, let's just say, because some of the stuff he's been put through um, with the sort of threatening banners outside his house, uh, lots of complaints and queries over him taking the job at Goodison Park. Um, I think that it just hasn't phased him and I don't think it's the sort of manager that it would phase. But also, like I say, the situation is combustible and that more comes from the fans' point of view because I think Rafa has less margin for error than any other manager in the Premier League. If you look at someone like Mikel Arteta, like we've discussed on the show already today, about how he's getting on at Arsenal and how things aren't going to plan, if that same thing happened at Everton, I can't see the Evertonians putting up with it just simply because of his Liverpool links. And I understand that. There's a rivalry there. But actually, in terms of the good times returning, it's been 1995 the last time that Everton won a trophy. That's got to be their aim. If they can get into the Europa League places, then fantastic, that's a bonus. But for me, they have to be targeting the cup competitions. They scrape through against Huddersfield in the Carabao. But for a club who have seen Liverpool win plenty in recent seasons, Everton haven't had much to cheer about since David Moyes left, really, in all fairness. They have to target a trophy. I think that's got to be Rafa Benitez's aim. Um, And they should also be beating teams like Brighton. Evertonians would expect that. And although Brighton have made a good start, Everton fans will expect them to beat them. And and, and that's just the way things go at, at Everton. So in terms of Rafa and what he could deliver, he's a man who knows how to get the job done. Um, how long it takes him and how much time he'll be given to do that is anyone's guess. But I don't think, uh, you know, with the way things have gone so far, one win, one draw, yet to lose, one in the cup, through to the next round. I don't think there can be too many complaints just yet. But as soon as things start turning south a little bit I do think that the question marks will then begin to appear rapidly a traditional three o'clock kickoff for Brighton against Everton on Saturday that's the end for part two we've got three more games to look at if you want to join us for part three next football's social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action. Still three games left to talk about. Thank you very much, Ant, for uh, taking control so perfectly in that second section there where I was struggling with the old Wi-Fi. But, you know, that's the modern way when it comes to recording podcasts. Talking of poor Wi-Fi, Burnley versus Leeds is the next (laughs) game we're going to talk about um, on the podcast. They do have Wi-Fi up in Burnley. I'm only messing. Sunday, two o'clock kickoff. Uh, They finished 17th last year, Jay, which is the lowest place that the Clarets have finished since they got promoted back to the top flight do you think they've got what it takes this season to hang on again and if that is a yes to that question do you think Sean Dyche is the defining factor in achieving that yeah I mean definitely I, 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 you look at Sean Dyche and, and, and Burnley and, and sort of what he's done over the last few years I know obviously last season wasn't great they, they finished 17th which is you know position wise is poor but they were still comfortably above the relegation zone I think they were was it 11 points or something above relegation and so in terms of points it wasn't great but you know they were they did sort of avoid relegation comfortably I just always feel with, with Burnley what is the, the the goal what is the ambition I've spoken about it on this podcast quite a few times is it just to be above Blackburn because that rivalry is, is intense I used to work in East Lancashire you may scoff and people think but it is like one of the I think there's more arrests per person in the Blackburn versus Burnley derby than any other football match in the world it's ridiculous um, but yeah you have to wonder, like, you know, they, they, they got into the Europa League, didn't they, not long ago? Played, like, two games in it and then got knocked out. And it was like, you know, that was almost pointless. So, if it is just to stay in the Premier League, then, you know, he's doing a fantastic job. But if they have got ambitions of, of I don't know, we spoke about Brighton earlier, maybe playing nicer football or trying to do something sort of spectacular, like what David Moyes is doing. I know he's got a lot more resources, but trying to get into the conversation of, of can we get across the party at the top near the, near the top of the table I should say then they might have to look elsewhere but I just think as long as Sean Dyche is manager there they'll be safe and I actually think that's probably what most of, the fan, most of the fans will be happy with not to belittle Burnley but I think you know if you're a regular Premier League club the size of Burnley that's pretty much an achievement in itself when you look at some of the, the resources that other clubs have. Yeah, I'd agree. And Sean Dyche is actually the highest paid member of staff at Burnley and that includes the players. So I think that goes to show how important a piece of the puzzle he is up there at Turf Moor. As for Leeds, they only just found out last week or a couple of weeks ago Marcelo Bielsa was going to be staying for another year. That's the way he does things, sat on his bucket and taking in the action from his haunches. Um, they haven't won yet in the Premier League. Would that be of concern or do you think it's just a matter of time? I, I I don't think there's nothing too much to be concerned about. I I think um, I I think the, the the fans are just glad to be able to be able to come and see the game. They did such a great season last season in the Premier League, and uh, you know I I think th- there's I've heard a little chat on social media about good times coming back because you've seen Patrick Bamford uh, called up to the England squad, and I think it's the last potentially alongside uh, Phillips in midfield, uh, you could have two Leeds players. Uh, starting for England for the first time since 2002, um, which is going to be quite a thing. I, I, I think um, we're looking at Jonathan Woodgate and um, I'm trying to remember the, the the player who went to United, the striker who broke his leg. Uh, Alan Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was the last time you had two Leeds players uh, starting off um, in in an England international, so 2002. So I think obviously that just shows you the sort of talented talent that they've got in there. It's been, it's not been a great start, obviously, um, but the, I think the United game particularly was quite humbling, especially when it looked like they got back in it quite quickly. Um, Everton, you know, as as we say, there's changes happening a foot there as well. So. I think, given those two games, those are the kind of results that I think, maybe not the the, the humbling that they got at United, but I think those kind of uh, a defeat to United and a draw against Everton would would be fixtures they'll be quite happy with. And I think looking ahead to the rest of the season and the fixtures that they've got coming up, I think this is one of the fixtures that they would target, particularly uh, as, as being one that not only they could win but based on last year's form they almost definitely should win and I think especially as the other games they've got coming up uh, this month are Liverpool and West Ham I think this is an important game for for Leeds to win and 
yeah, I, I, I would put my money on them just to edge it. Lanks v Yorks in this game. Burnley against Leeds, Sunday, 2 o'clock. Time to rewind back to 3 o'clock Saturday because that's the start time for Newcastle against Southampton. Newcastle have lost two in a row. It is early doors in the Premier League season, so every result really is caveated until at least a month or so in where you can start to see some patterns forming. But I think it's important for Steve Bruce and for Newcastle, Jay, to not let that become three defeats in a row and let any sort of rot set in. Yeah, it's 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 weird, isn't it? Because there's always that sort of feeling of um, of just Steve Bruce constantly being on borrowed borrowed time. Um, that you know he's not very popular, is he, with with the um, with the Newcastle fans? Um, and I think that if you look at his league position last season, was it twelfth? Was it last season for 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 Newcastle? I think they finished twelfth. Um, Seven surge at the end. Yeah, sort of, you know, well above relegation and, and sort of comfortably mid-table. But he, he, you know, he never seems to sort of win them over. And I think when you look at the start that they've had, is, is excuse the right word? It's almost like a good excuse for some of the fans to, to have another dig at him because they, I don't think they, they they want him there. So yeah, it, it can't become a, a run if it, could, if it turns into a run. I think he's going to be under a lot of pressure because there was all sorts of. of sort of behind the scenes questions as well, there was there's players saying that they weren't training enough and stuff like that. It just seems like it was a little bit chaotic. They obviously had a good sort of better end towards the end of the season. So they they want to almost build on what happened last season, not let this season sort of disintegrate before it's got going. Otherwise I think Mike Ashley will end up pulling the plug. Yeah, I mean, well, that's always going to be hanging over Mike Ashley in Newcastle until that gets uh, sorted out in court, that Saudi Arabian takeover, which is still yet to be ratified by the Premier League. We should know by around January, Christmas time-ish, what's going on there, which is uh, plenty of time for Newcastle fans to <laughs> to, to, to wait, I'm sure, after the 18 months they've already had to wait. Um, they take on Southampton, who... Got a good draw against Manchester United last week. Could have easily won the game if it wasn't for a, a big save by David De Gea uh, from an Armstrong one-on-one, which proved pivotal in the end. They've been tipped by a few to go down this season. And uh, you used to live down there, so you'll know the vibe better than most in, in terms of how they'll see this campaign coming up. But they've lost the likes of Danny Ings and Vestergaard's gone to Leicester. Um, will they be happy with their start? And, and do they feel like they're at any threat of going down, do you think? I, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be happy with their start. And I'm just going to sort of uh, full disclosure. I I was somebody towards the end of last season that did question, you know, that that they may struggle this season. Um, I think they're going to be all right. And and when you reference the the players, I mean, that's part of the culture and it's been part of the culture and the business model at Southampton for the longest time. Uh, And they were just able to bring uh, through the scouting networks, their academies, just these incredible talents that would come through. And, and then move on and, and they, they made quite a lot of money and they would still then find somebody that was just as good and they, they, they'd bring them through. Um, they they kind of seem to lose balance for a couple of years where they, they could do that and still sort of be the top end of the table and then it's been a bit a bit dodgy the last two seasons. Although Hassan Hootel is a very good manager. I, uh, he, he's got a lot of fans around around the game not just in, in in the uk and in germany but um yeah i i, I think uh given that uh you know that they had two i think both last season and the season before they had nine nil defeats to leicester uh, on the copybook i think some people look at those and and dismiss them as a team in general but i i think particularly hanging on to james ward prowse i think that's such a big uh, move for them, especially as they previously lost the captain the season before Hoiberg going to Tottenham. I think Ward Prowse is a real statement of intent, and I I, I think yes, Dennings has gone and he, he's been on the goal straight away as as soon as he's gone to Villa. But I I think there is enough within the team, within the culture of the club, uh, and and within the manager to see them sticking around where they find themselves at the minute, thirteenth, twelfth. I don't, but that's another question. Anyway, Newcastle against (laughs) Southampton, 3 o'clock Saturday. Final game we're going to talk about on the podcast today comes at Villa Park. Aston Villa taking on Brentford. Brentford, Jay, still unbeaten. Um, A lot of people tipping them to go straight back down, but that's something they can take confidence from. Yeah, definitely. I think I may have been one of those people that actually tipped them to go straight down when we did our Premier League predictions, but I'd be happy to be proven wrong. Um, It's always good, I think, or just better if teams that get promoted can 
make a stab of it in the Premier League. It's, it's sort of a bit deflating when you see teams just come up, see teams come up and just get relegated straight away. Um, they obviously had that great result, didn't they, in the first game of the open season opener against Arsenal, um, and a, a solid draw as well. Um, since then at, at, at Palace, the, the the trouble with promoted teams sometimes like they start off well. But it's when they have one or two bad results, how they react that counts. We saw it with Norwich, didn't we, a few seasons, a couple of seasons ago, where they, they, they started off surprising everyone and Timo Puku scoring goals. They got that result against City and everyone was like, wow. And then when things started to go badly wrong, they didn't have an answer for it. So I think that's what, what maybe Brentford will have to look at is, you know, yes, they've had a good start, keep building on that. But if, you know, they do pick up some bad results, can they sort of react to it in a positive way? But so far... It's been so, you know, it's been good. It's been good to see them. I've not seen a lot of them. So the Arsenal game played really well. Obviously, a great buzz as well for the fans to, to be in the in the Premier League. And it, it would be a, a sort of a, a great story to see Brentford get into the Premier League and stay there. And they've got some quality as well. You know, they have got some decent players as well. So there's no point in being disparaging about it. It's just, it's going to be tough with the resources they've got and the fact that they are new to the Premier League to stay up. Yeah, I think they'll surprise a few personally, but their next test is against the Villa side who have made a few signings in replacing Jack Grealish, who went to City for 100 million quid. And they've got Leon Bailey and Danny Ings has already been amongst the goals. Uh, do you think it's going to take a little bit more time for them to gel? Because they've made a good start of it so far. Yeah, but I, I, I think it's not like they've done a complete team overhaul. I think they've bought very well. Uh, ba- Bailey, according to Smith in his press conference, uh, is not going to be ready for for this game. Uh, we we saw him set up. I think it was a John McGinn beautiful first time uh, shot on goal. Uh, Liam Bailey. I think we're going to see a lot of if he can stay fit uh, this season. Um, yeah, the, the 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 other players in there. I think they're going to be bedded in slowly. It'll take a little bit of time, but there's there's some real quality in there. And I think um, I I really like Dean Smith as as a manager. He, he's kind of. Both, both in the way that he speaks publicly and and also the way that you see him handling the players, I think he handled and the club handled the whole uh, Jack Grealish thing very well. You know, I, I think that you know them coming out and actually sort of speaking directly and saying, "Look, this is why this is what we set up," and I th- I think we'd all agree, particularly with with the owners, some other clubs have as well. You know, to have that kind of engagement and communication. Uh, would make things because you kind of feel like you know what the club's building towards, and actually, you know, I I think nobody was surprised with with that transfer coming through, and I think all the players that they've brought in has been part of a strategy that the club has been building through, not just this summer but moving forward. And they they've got a, a spine of great players. Uh, Mings has just been called up to uh, the England squad again. Uh, what a great volley from Danny Ings as well on his second game. You know, they, they, they've got a man right in form as well. And um, they've got the, the, the small mention of uh, one of the best players from last season, Ollie Watkins, is probably going to be back in contention for this game as well. So I think when you look at it like that, you start to go and see, all right, it's not been, they've not hit the hit the ground running at all this season, but... You know they've got they've got the team there, and as we saw with with Man City last season, you know they did not hit the ground running at all. They were they were in a terrible state of uh, of things at the start of the season. So there is still time for things to be turned around, and I think Villa are going to rise to the top. Not always to the top, but they're going to have a very good season. Well, Aston Villa against Brentford kicks off at three o'clock Saturday, and that's it. That's our ten games for the Premier League weekend. Thank you very much, Ant. Thank you very much, Jay, for joining us on Football Social Daily. Before you both go, I wanted to ask you about the Sports Social Podcast Network because you've both got shows on there. Jay, three points in the gaff. Tell us all about that. Yes. That, that old Manx saying that you know and love. I've, I've, I've made I've made a rod for me on back here because it's myself, pundit Jay, and Mike's who's a he, he, Mike's is a City fan. Um, and after the first week when he lost to Spurs, it was all good. It was all fun and giggles. Last week, I was getting a bit of grief. And then now with this Ronaldo thing, I'm dreading it. But um, yeah, it's basically just three Mancunians, United and City, um, chatting about basically United and City. That's, that's what it is, arguing a lot about United and City. <laughs> so yeah, check it out. <laughs> Plenty to chat about as well, definitely. Um, the latest episode of Three Points in the Gaff, you can find Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and of course on the Sports Social Podcast Network. And also, Ant McGinley, wrestling with the champ, with the big beard and the hair, it's uh, it's all going on. Uh, how's things going with that, which you can also find on the network? Yeah, well, I'm slowly metamorphosing into uh, Hulk Hogan at the minute. Yes, uh, season three about to launch, and if you've not come across it, 
before. Uh, there's there's been demands for a wrestling match with Santa. There's been uh, intergender tournament on a canal barge. Uh, this is the world of wrestling with the champ. If you've ever watched wrestling, whether as a child or you still watch it now, uh, you're going to enjoy this. If you think. Uh, Alan Partridge retiring from wrestling that kind of puts you in the right sort of mindset for what for this <laughs> that's enough to turn anyone on to listen to it I think <laughs> that's it for Football Social Daily for today though go and check out those podcasts Wrestling with the Champ three points in the gaff on the podcast network don't forget Fergal Brennan will be back tomorrow with a full rundown of all the weekend's games but that's it from us today and we'll catch you again next time on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.